Voice of Reason Broadcast Network presents The Heretics Hour with Carolyn Yeager. Carolyn Yeager brings you news and commentary on Holocaust revisionism, World War II history, free speech issues, and more. And now, here's Carolyn. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. I welcome you to another live broadcast of the Heretics Hour on Voice of Reason. I have labeled tonight's program with a very provocative title because I consider the current situation in Europe, our white homeland, vis-a-vis the Euro and the European Union, to be extremely serious and needful of everyone's alert attention. Europe is in process of being enslaved by the bankers through their debt mechanisms and European indulgence. But more correctly, and to the point, it is Germany that is being enslaved by Europeans who want an easy ride. But they will all go down together, just as they did because of World War I and World War II, at the hands of Anglo-American Jewish perfidy and lies and power madness. That may be simplifying it a little bit, but I do want to make that point. Thus, Adolf Hitler is avenged, as I say, or maybe vindicated, as he warned of exactly this and fought against it, really alone among Western world leaders of the time. And that explains why he has been made the villain. Tonight, we're going to explore this in whatever depth we can, and you will understand, I hope, what are these destructive forces and why they are, and why we still have not stopped them to this very day. My guest, who is most competent to talk with me about this, is William Fink, owner of Christogenia's site at uh, the Christogenia site at Christogenia.org. Bill, as I'll call him, was my guest on October 26th when we discussed the corruption of U.S. culture as evidenced in the city of Philadelphia here in the USA, which he wrote about and featured some great photographs in an article titled Philadelphia, he has just published another article on his site titled European Misunion, and we will refer to that during the next two hours, as well as some articles published in Germany's number one news outlet in English, the very leftist anti-German U.S. mouthpiece Der Spiegel. I'll also mention that I did a program on June 20th on Greece and the European debt crisis entitled it Are All Europeans Created Equal? That can be found in the Heretics Hour archive. So, hello, Bill, and thanks for coming on the program. Hello, and thank you for having me. Praise Christ. Uh, I wish I'd have, I, I didn't know about that, are all Europeans created equal, or I may have gone and listened to that today. That, that, that's, um, part of the, the, a major part of this problem that we face today, right? Yes, yes. So we, we both agree on that. And, uh, I thought that at the time, and so I, kind of boldly title that program that and i think what i said on that program about greece and about the debt crisis and so on is uh is, is followed along pretty well as we as we see what's happening today so i think i was i'm i'm right and so i keep going with this you know we all think we're right but um now i 
I thought that uh, there's two things that we might talk about today. Uh, one being the uh, the current condition of the debt crisis and the and the euro, and the other this uh, Zwickauer affair. I call it an affair, Zwickauer uh, treason trio, or um, not treason, uh, terrorist trio that the uh, media is making a lot out of. But mostly, it seems to me, it's Der Spiegel. And the reason I'm focusing on Spiegel tonight is because uh, they are. You know, we can't talk about everyone, and they have made such, it is so clear where they're coming from and how they are uh, totally into the left-wing agenda, anti-nationalist, and even, to my mind, anti not only anti-German, because it's a German news magazine, but anti-European, because they are so pro-multiculturalist. Well, well and, right, I would call them anti-white. Yeah, they are. They are, and so that's that's anti-European in our book. It's not to them, though. They see a different kind of a Europe, and and this is so clear in everything that they're doing. And it's kind of interesting to me that they're playing up this this Zwickauer affair, which I'll have to describe uh, briefly to the listeners. Um, in su- in such a way at this time, I I'm, I suspect that it might be partly to uh, distract from this uh, Euro crisis, although they're writing about that a lot. But to distract from the fact of what is the cause of the Euro crisis, maybe, you know, their philosophy, their their political agenda, and to make it to, again, point to the right wing and make it appear that this is a great threat. Because this Swickauer affair is just three young people, two men and a woman, that's all, who uh, have been discovered because the two two young men uh, uh, shot committed suicide, and the woman they've got in custody, uh, they're playing them up for all it's worth as as very dangerous terrorists in Germany, which is just the tip of the iceberg of this right wing uh, nationalist terror, uh, which is epitomized by the National Party of Germany, the NPD, and so on, um, uh, uh, which they all call all neo Nazis. And so it's this real, real threat, and they're pushing the government. They're writing all these articles about it, and it's really kind of ridiculous. I think they're doing it more uh, for the uh, English readers because they have their their English language online uh, uh, outlet, uh, and uh, I think I, th- I don't I don't I'm not sure that the German people fall for this because they know better. But uh, and of course the the problem that they're running into is that this. This little group uh, had an infill had um, oh what do you call it a uh, an agent an intelligence agent government government agent involved with them so they don't know who's really responsible for what happened but they're trying to blame the death of nine Turks over the last ten years on this uh, little uh, terrorist trio and uh, it's all just kind of embarrassing and stupid. But I thought um, it, it just shows, and I'll be done in a minute here, it just shows uh, what, what is going on in Europe with these people who, who are promoting the European Union and the Euro and, and, all, this, uh, and all this debt that, that is being accumulated. So I don't know if, if you want to say anything about this Zwickauer affair uh, or do you want to go on, uh, these, uh, we go on to the Euro well, well, it seems to me. Uh, I mean, we could talk about this Wickauer affair now or or later. It, it it doesn't matter as long as people bear in mind that that this one 
Uh, well, well, there's one small group who perpetrated a couple of bank robberies and, and supposedly, allegedly, and, and allegedly killed as many as nine Turks. Yeah. And, and, and they're blowing this all out of proportion. And, and especially in a climate in Germany where Turkish crime, crime committed by Turkish immigrants has gotten so bad that German authorities and the German government have thought about bringing in Turkish police to fight the Turkish crime, to break the culture barrier. And, and I would bet the Turkish police, for the most part, would probably sign up with their Turkish compatriots. It, it's a disgrace that the entire and, – and nine dead Turks, what was all of the problems that the Turks have caused Germany, it is – I mean, it may sound callous, but it's absolutely insignificant. And, and a few bank robberies – with all the other crime that Germany has, is absolutely insignificant. Yet, Spiegel Online has used this to launch a campaign of propaganda against the, any right-wing politician in Germany, and especially against the NPD, even the, the only viable right-wing party in Germany. And, and, and Spiegel is talking about Merkel's claim that, that Perhaps they should reintroduce the, the efforts, the failed efforts of the past to ban the right-wing party. So Spiegel is using that this one little group of criminals to, to, who are relatively insignificant to, to, um, to silence all political opposition to the, the will of the bankers and the will of the left-wing parties and centrist parties in Germany. It's incredible. Yeah, very well put. And, and they say things like that. You know, they, they point, they make out that resentment against foreigners is the worst crime that can be committed, you know, in, in the nation. And, and that this is what they keep talking about. Oh, this horrible, uh, xenophobia and this resentment against foreigners is, and it's, 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 it, this is what's fueling these, these kinds of terrorists, these right wingers and these neo Nazis and so on. And, and, uh, and, and they, and they're going, they force the, uh, the government to have a special uh, a special meeting with the families of these uh, murdered Turks, and this is over a period of a lot of years. These were not all murdered together, and they don't know. They haven't tied this group to them. They just they're just kind of assuming that they were responsible, but that is not that has not been proven. So the whole thing is, as you say, just ridiculous, and shows the kind of thing that they're. That they're about what what they're about. They want to they want to they want to stamp out every kind of right wing thought or any kind of tendency to go back to uh, being able to speak openly about uh, the Third Reich or, or Adolf Hitler as being absolutely out of the question because it's just going to create uh, all sorts of uh, murder and mayhem in Germany. So well, uh, well, there's one statistic that, that, that Spiegel Online cited. Over 140 people have died as a result of far-right violence in Germany since reunification in 1990. 22 years ago, 21 years ago. Yeah. Right. And, and there are approximately, from what I saw online, I only checked real quick, eight or nine hundred murders in Germany every year. And that figure has fallen over the last 20 years. So, so how many of them are due to right-wing violence? Well, they're and, not. And that's like saying that three murders or ten murders were committed by Catholics, so all Catholics are evil. How come nobody says that? How many murders were committed by Jews in Germany the last 20 years? There had to be one. So does that? could we say that all Jews are evil? In Germany, we go to jail for saying that. 
It's incredibly hypocritical, but it's a, it's a clear demonstration of how the left wing and and how the um, the media outlets that represent the powers that be um, suppress all that they suppress all opposition and and they use scare tactics and fear tactics and misinformation and bad statistics to do it, and they do it all the time. Yeah, now here, this one stood out to me. They say, they say in this article, Der Spiegel, that 15,905 politically motivated crimes were associated with the far right, um, in 2010. I find that hard to believe. What they call a crime is, is like, uh, graffiti on a building or something, you know, and that could be done by anybody. But then they, they finally, it finally comes down to, uh, investigators put the number of violent acts of an explicitly xenophobic nature at 285. But then later they had to lower that because uh, that, that was journalists who put it at that, but not the police departments. Uh, the you know so they had a much lower well, figure than that. You so mentioned you, you, is, I, I'm ahead. sorry. You just I'm, mentioned graffiti on a building, and I just have to bring this up. Um, just last week in, in Britain, two British nationalists were sentenced to 12 months in prison for spray painting a poppy on a mosque immediately. And, and that was done in retaliation to similar um, Muslim actions, which were left unpunished. Wow. Yeah, well, uh, I, I, I read about this all the time. Uh, it's totally biased against whites and Europeans in Europe and uh and it's only gonna get worse as we continue if this if these new decisions about how to overcome the collapse of the Eurozone and the Euro uh and uh because of the debt crisis uh take place. So let's let's get into that. Well, well, that's just, let, let me say real quick that that's because that the only viable solution for our people is nationalism. So nationalism has been criminalized. Well, for sure. For sure. Here, I've got this. In fact, that brings up this little uh, interview that, um, that I read with, uh, the Der Spiegel magazine. And this was on, uh, this is just today, today, this interview with Interior Minister Friedrich uh, his last name is Friedrich. Uh, this, he's in charge of, you know, security, the interior minister and security of the, of the state. So, so they're, they're, they're interviewing him and they say, um, uh, you must have seen this video by this, uh, Zwickau based neo-Nazi terror cell. Now they had, they found this video in the, in the rubble of the, I think they blew up the, the funny house they were living in or something like that. And they, they found some stuff in there and they found this video. Which is, uh, the Pink Panther, scenes from the Pink Panther cartoon on TV intermixed with, uh, oh, some scenes from the, uh, investigating police, uh, on some of these Turkish, uh, murders. And so they take that as being that they are responsible and they, and, and Spiegel says on this, on this neo-Nazi, uh, on this video, where they appear to claim responsibility for at least 10 murders. Of course, there was one other person that was murdered somewhere along the line, not a Turk. And Friedrich uh, answers, uh, yes, he saw the video, but he said, for me, it's one of the biggest mysteries. It's hard to understand what statement is supposed, is supposed to have been made or why the video was made. 
which is clear. You don't know why it was, but Spiegel has already decided they know. So they say, well, uh, the trio apparently murdered at least 10 people between 2000 and 2006 for mainly racist motives. They apparently, now it's the second time they use the word apparently, they apparently wanted to send a clear message claiming responsibility. But Friedrich says, but a testament in this form? You know, of course, he doesn't agree, but he can't be uh, argumentative with Spiegel because Spiegel is the media, and we know how much power the media has over politicians. So politicians are very careful um, when they're talking with somebody as powerful as Der Spiegel. So he just, but but he is still not going along with it. He's saying this is really not, you know, a testament of that. Why would they do it this way? And well, well, that's to his credit. But but yeah, trial yeah. by media happens all the time. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's the point. Is that they're they're trying to get him to say things, and I don't think the Germans, particularly the government that's in there now, is not a good government. But but they don't. They're not as bad as Der Spiegel, and they're not communists, and they don't want to. They don't want to be pushed into some of this stuff. In fact, Der Spiegel is accusing the government, the Merkel government, of dragging its feet in in investigating neo-Nazis and right-wing stuff and so on and not doing what it should do. And that's why they're saying that this this little group here now, uh, they got away with this all these years because because the, the police and the government weren't doing their job. And they better shape up and they better get going. They better get after these people. And, uh... And they are saying um, they are trying to, you know, they're trying to politically play around that. And that's why they're putting this out to the English speaking, uh, to the English speaking readers, because I don't think their German readers would fall for it. But they want to make they want to make Germany look bad in the eyes of the world, the rest of the world. They, that's what Der Spiegel wants to do. That's what it's always doing. Uh, it's it's always attacking Germans in Germany. It's totally anti-German. Well, well, and as long as they belittle Germans and and make you know keep the self-hating German the the norm, that then they'll they 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 can get away with all the crimes they want in Europe and across the world. Well, it, it's yeah, you know the Holocaust funds have been a giant um, milk cow for for the Jews for how many years now, and and German guilt is has become a cottage industry. Mm-hmm. And in fact, if the Germans could profit from exporting guilt, that they'd probably be the richest nation on the face of the earth. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, it's 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 so transparent what is being done, and yet and yet only people like us and people who are sympathetic to Germans in Germany. Uh, notice it. The rest just think it's well. They're just saying what is what is right. Um, but now let's move on to the uh, to the euro crisis. And I want to I want to read a little uh, thing that I took from Bill Bonner, which uh, was published on uh, the 18th um, a few days ago. And I, I always like what he says. Uh, I don't invest with him. I don't. I've never handed any money over. But I I like to read his his things sometimes. And he wrote this. And then I'm going to let you. Uh, comment on this and gets get going on the topic the bondholders he's he's talking about you know what's going on in europe he says the bondholders want to know if the euro feds are going to bail them out the euro wants to know if the chinese are going to bail them out and the taxpayers want to know how long their pension checks will keep coming he says angela merkel gave an answer yesterday at quoting her she said, if politicians believe the ECB can solve the problem of the euro's weakness, then they're trying to convince themselves of something that won't happen, as she said in the speech. 
The, now, he says the question she was answering was when the ECB would step in to buy more bonds and bail out the bondholders. Apparently, that's not a question worth asking, she says. What the Germans really want to know is whether the Greeks and Italians can act like Germans. What the Greeks and Italians want to know is when the Germans are going to stop acting like Germans. I thought that was pretty good. And he says, then he adds, what the French want to know is where to get a good piece of foie gras and a good bottle of Bordeaux. And everybody is counting on something impossible happening. And that's well, really well, what it is, isn't it? It boils down to what Adolf Hitler said, Adolf Hitler said in Mein Kampf on pages 215 and 216 in the Murphy edition when he said that the assumption that all races are alike leads to the assumption that nations and individuals are equal to one another. And, and he went on to explain that that was a construct of international Marxism. And, and, and it creates insolvency. That idea creates insolvency. That our forcing our standards on other peoples, even amongst whites, Italians and Greeks are not, uh, are not equal, and, and neither of them are certainly equal to Germans in, 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 in the, um, in, in, in the aspect of industry and productivity, and they never will be. And, and that's just a cultural thing. And, and their, their nationality, you know, culture is an ethnic construct. And, and Italians don't have what it takes and, and probably don't want what it takes to be as industrious well, that's, as Germans. That's it. That's right. They want to know when the Germans are going to stop acting like Germans. They're, they're not any more fond of the way Germans act than the Germans well, are fond of the way they act. Well, well that's but so that we is, could all- <laughs> Yeah, the thing is... We're all going to be what we are, and we're not going to change that, and there's no Precisely. reason to change it. And, and when you force these disparate nations to live under the same currency and expect them to have the same standard of living, it doesn't wash. It can't wash because they are disparate to begin with. They can't be equals. They need that. That's why I, I wrote my European Misunion article that culture, that the currency has to be organic and represent the productivity of the people. When Adolf Hitler threw the bankers out of Germany, he based a currency, he created his own currency based on the productivity of the people. It was based on German Labor Department notes that represented that productivity, and it was popular, and it was workable, and it it succeeded. Mm-hmm. Well, exactly. And so that's why the uh, Anglo-American uh, uh, Jewish uh, uh, power structure Kicked him out and got rid of him. Well, they had want that. <laughs> because if anybody, if the rest of the world caught on to what Germany did, it would be the end of the bankers. And, and here we see that, that Hitler, that the policies that Hitler implemented and the things that he knew that would, would fail and were, had to be unworkable. And, and the fact that he knew that the international bankers were only out to loot and pillage and to gain the wealth of nations. We're seeing all that in Europe today. You know, Adolf Hitler understood Europe. And a lot of these people don't. Uh, but he did, and he loved Europe. But he loved German, Germany more, but he loved Europe too, and, and he knew Germany was the, the center and the heart of Europe. And, and so, uh, you know, he, he was doing, really was doing what, what was the best for, for, uh, for the whole, uh, continent. But now, today, 
with this problem, with the with the European Union kind of beginning to crumble because of the euro, uh, they are trying to come up with new solutions. And we, there's some a lot of this is put together in, uh, in some of these Spiegel articles. But they're talk. One thing they talk about is, can't we be like the United States of America, the United States of Europe, based, you know, uh, formed on the same pattern as the United States? Of America, that sounds rather crazy to me. They, then they're idealizing the United States of America as something where people had disparate interests in the beginning, the states, but they they managed to hammer it out and they managed to you know come together for the common good and and uh, and it's a very successful place, <laughs> a very successful country where they're kind of should have been talking about this about a hundred years ago, but um, you know that might have been kind of true then. But now, uh, so uh, what do you think of this idea that uh, we can have that the United States of Europe on the same principle as the United States of America? Well, well first, it, it's not working here. It just hasn't imploded yet. We have the same problem. We just bailed out our banks with, with $2 trillion on the backs of the taxpayers of the future. We, we don't, we don't have, we had that success before 1913. But, but since 1913, we've economically become like Europe. England has been under the, um, uh, under the control of a Jewish owned central bank since 1690 something. 1696, I think. And, and all of the England expansion fueled that. But since, England expansion stops fueling that since the Second World War. England has fallen to a state no better off than any of the other European nations. And, and America is also saddled with the same type of debt from, from these Jewish bankers. And, and what we have, as long as we have enough productivity to pay to, to not default on the debt and, and to keep our tax rates up, fine. It, it could go on for years. But our productivity has fallen off to the point that we're going to have the same problems Italy and Greece have today, and, and so is England if, if they keep being drained by these bankers. Well, that's right. We've just had a big shot. We'll be right back with more on the Heretics Hour. You're listening to VOR, ReasonRadioNetwork.com. Moscow has accused Western powers of stirring up tensions in the Arab world by calling for the overthrow of the Syrian regime. Now let's get more on this from an author and journalist, Webster Tarpley, now joining us live from Damascus. Uh, thank you for coming on the program today. So Russia says that calls uh, from certain states that the Syrian opposition should avoid talks with the government are only provoking further violence. Just for a moment here, uh, let's listen to what the Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov has said. In Syria, we're now seeing a situation where the Arab League is calling for a halt to violence and the beginning of dialogue. And Western countries and the capitals of some countries of the region are making calls to the contrary, expressly recommending the opposition hold no talks with the Assad regime. 
It looks like a political provocation on an international scale. Yes, violence has to be stopped, but this demand has to be addressed to the authorities and the armed groups in the Syrian opposition. So, uh, so what, what's, uh, what's your take on this? Do, do you agree that the calls coming from the West are, are not helping to stabilize the situation in the region? Uh, surely not. Certainly, Mr. Mr. Lavrov is on very firm ground there. I've just completed about a one-week uh, fact-finding tour of the country. I've been in Homs, I've been in Tartus, Banyas, I've been in the military hospital here in, in Baghdad, and I can tell you what, uh, what uh, average, everyday Syrians of all ethnic groups, Christian, Alawite, Sunni, Shiite, Druze, uh, what they say about this is that they are being shot at by snipers. Um, in Homs in particular, people complained that there are terrorist snipers who are shooting at civilians, men, women and children, blind terrorism, random killing, uh, simply for the purpose of destabilizing the country. Uh, I, I think, th I would not call this a civil war by any stretch of the imagination. I think that's a, that's a very, very uh, misleading term in the following sense. What you're dealing with here are death squads. You're dealing here with terror commandos. The kind of thing that everybody remembers from Argentina and the uh, Central America. This is a typical CIA method. In this case, it's a joint production of CIA, MI6, Mossad, the DGSE of the French. It's got money coming from Saudi Arabia, the United Arab Emirates, and Qatar. And it has a couple of interesting managers. Um, the manager I think you should point to perhaps most is a guy called Khadam. Khadam was the foreign minister in this country for quite a couple of decades. He's almost 80 years old. He operates from Paris. And I think he's being groomed by, by NATO as the new dictator of some Mr. kind Tarp, of Mr. Tarpey, I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt you. If I could just jump in for a moment. It, it's very interesting how you bring in the, the issue of that there are, there are unknown snipers. There are terror commandos. Let's return to the Heretics Hour, brought to you by VOR, ReasonRadioNetwork.com. And now here's Carolyn. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. I am Carolyn Yeager with my guest, William Fink of Christagenia.org. And uh, he was we were just talking about uh, the idea that Europeans are being given that if they can that to become the United States of Europe based on the United States of America is just would be just the thing for them to become successful and strong like the US is so and you were making some comments on that bill i wish you'd continue with that well well right what they want to do in Europe is make Europe like the United States of Europe and communitize the debt which would mean that the wealthier states pay the bills 
for the lesser wealthy state. That, that's Marxist socialism, right, is basically what that boils down to. In the United States in the 19th century and back when the nation was founded, we had state banks that issued their own currency under the purview of the various states, and the states controlled their own local economies. With the Federal Reserve in 1913 especially, I mean, Lincoln had issued greenbacks and Dollars had been issued at various points in history before that, but in 1913, the, the economy was nationalized. Basically, it, it, was, it was made the same nationwide, and, and the banks, the national banks took over, and the Federal Reserve banks, and, and all the power to create currency was concentrated into the hands of the Federal Reserve bankers, and, and they were able to do so with usury. Right, charge interest for the so we had a usury based economy, and and the result of that has been that more and more social programs have been moved out of the control, local control of the states into the hands of the federal government. More and more of the other functions of governance, such as law enforcement and things like that, have have slowly been federalized. And and even though we still have strong state governments in some respects, for the most part, through um, block grants and, and um, law enforcement programs and justice department programs and education programs. Everything's federalized because even though it looks like it's in state hands, it's controlled and funded by the federal government and that has communitized our debt so, so that the, the, every state has this large share in this ever ballooning national debt and that's what they want to do in Europe they want to hold Germany and Britain and France the the, the more productive states responsible for the debts of mm -hmm. Greece and Italy yeah. and Spain yeah. that's Marxism they pulled it off here they pulled it off here in in, in, in the guise of federalism and and they're pulling it off in Europe but with this new European Union and and all of all of these different debt schemes that they're working up and, and they take more and more sovereignty from the local nations and, and concentrated in the hands of these bureaucrats and, and they taxed them and placed them under ever-burjoining bur bur burdens, yeah, you know, um, mm -hmm. bigger and bigger burdens of, of financial obligation. Absolutely, and they admit that. that. They admit it even yes, that, that it's going to happen that way. But they put it now like, well, we're in this crisis and we have no other choice because we have to save the European Union. This well, is what right. they say. They and, say and the, we ha just like in the United States, it has been said for how long that, my God, we have to save the Union. I mean, that is sacrosanct. That is that is considered, and everybody we're taught that as children, and everybody goes along with it. I'm sure they're taught in the schools now in Europe that the European Union is just is necessary because without it. We will become a bunch of small, little, powerless nations fighting among each other like we used to do. And uh, these big power blocks will destroy us. And uh, this, this is the argument they use for a united Europe. And, you know, we, as we've already said, Hitler wanted a united Europe. But he was going to go about it in a very different way. And Europe should, have, should be united in some way. But... As you've pointed out so well, it's being done by the bankers for their for their profits. Well, and, well right, uh, and, and, and the, and globalism. 
Well, right. In the years past, when Europeans, well, when Europeans nation, nations went to war, it was on, for the most part, on behalf of the bankers to, to collect debts. That's what World War One was all about, to control so that the bankers could control the, the economies of other nations. And, and they'd use England against France and France and England against Germany and, and on, on and on. And, and that, those wars were the fault of the bankers and, and the bankers used the idea of the wars to gain control anyway, carte blanche. The, the United States is not a good model and, and it's clearly not a good model for Europe because we we are trillions of dollars in debt. We, we just had a massive banker yeah, yeah, bailout. Yes, yes, let's bring that up because this is this is news. Now, this, this, uh, this uh, audit that showed uh, that instead of $700 billion or whatever that the Fed paid out when we were told that a few years ago when we had our big crisis, it's turned into you told me during the break eleven trillion. Well, well, it's sixteen trillion. I, I have it in oh. a government document on my website oh. at, at the Saxon my. Messenger. Oh. It, it comes from Senator Bernie Sanders' office yes. from his website. It, it's a it's a General Accountability Office auditing report, and, and it's sixteen trillion dollars. Yeah, I remember. I just read that, and I it shocked me so much that I couldn't even remember the figures that high. I thought it was one point one trillion or something. Well, but well, Trillion. Unbelievable. Right. Only we the two trillion dollar bailout was was publicized to the public, right? The the bailout, uh, yeah, you know, the amount of money yeah. that the federal government had had committed itself to in in you know to borrow to bail the bankers out. That's the taxpayers' share. Uh, in addition to that, the Federal Reserve create the Federal Reserve creates its money, its fiat money. It creates money from thin air and it gives it out. Well, well, when it does that, it's counterfeiting. Okay, the Federal Reserve just counterfeited sixteen trillion dollars and gave it out to whatever banks they thought at, at no interest or, or extremely low interest loans to whatever banks they felt they wanted and, to have. And we back. don't hear about those. Most of those banks, their loans, we only hear right. about these governments that, that have borrowed all this money and now can't pay right. it back to the banks. Most they owe it to the banks. Most of the recipient banks were in Europe. Most of them were yeah. in Europe. And, and UBS was one and, and the Bank of Scotland, that, that, there were a bunch of them that were in Europe. That now the, um, the, you know, the way I look at it, and, and if you really think about it, it's true. If you can counterfeit money and give it out to your friends, that first, that that of course causes inflation because, on, contrary to what everybody believes, and and in the general public anyway, I'm sure your audience knows better. But the only thing that causes inflation is when there's too much money in the, being printed into the economy. That causes inflation. Nothing else causes inflation. When there's more money than there are goods and services, that that then that causes price inflation. That's a very basic precept of economics that, that's overlooked. And and when sixteen trillion dollars, US dollars come into the economy, now you know why we've had this inflation yeah, you know, this up increase in inflation the past several years, especially since the, the bailout. Now now when you can print money and you get to choose who you could give it to at no interest or or, or you know negligible interest rates and, and you give it to your friends and favor your friends your, your other international bankers everything they acquire with that money is basically stolen it's basically stolen everything they could buy purchase or, or borrow with that money is basically stolen that's what's going on 
They're stealing- Which is why we should throw them out and forget all and wipe away all these debts and start all over again because none of this means anything. It's all That's- just a big scam. It, it is a big scam. We we should just um yeah yeah. There's a lot of things that we should do, but we what well, we should throw all the wolves out of the out out of the treasury. There's no doubt. Yeah. Well, let's let's. I don't want to forget to bring up this ESFS uh, and the which I guess has been failed or something, and now they have the ESM, which is European something mechanism. Yeah, I didn't uh, make sure I knew what that what that stood for. But these are really frightful. Uh, Systems that they're trying to put in place right now. Well, well, they put one system after another in place, right? You, you want to the, the European Financial Stability Facility, and, and there's okay. another one, the European Financial Stability Mechanism. Well, well, there's a couple of different ones, right? And, yeah, and the European Stability Mechanism is the latest well, right. thing. Right, the latest one is the European Stability Mechanism, and that one is it is just evil. It, it's um, it, it's and, and they're even getting it, it's all the eurozone comp that they're waiting for it to be fully ratified. But but it's basically said to that it will be in place by 2013, and it's not only the con- the, the countries that are in the euro because you, you know there's 27 European Union countries, but I think only 17 of them are using are are signed on to the euro currency. Well, well, right. this ESM that they're, they're trying to get the countries that aren't in the euro currency even to sign up to the ESM, and, and a lot of people that I know and listeners to Christogenia in Britain are highly concerned because the current British Prime Minister, even though he he can't get the euro through right, that and Britain's not on the euro, they're still using their own currency. He wants them in the ESM, and, and this is a commitment of seven hundred billion dollars and that's just the seed money that's just the start off fund and and the treaties of this position that the, the treaties of this um i'm sorry the provisions of this treaty are just plain evil in the mm-hmm. provisions of the treaty it, it's already said that the people that run it are, are immune to any prosecution for any reason for any decisions whatsoever it said that they can command an an increase or or a, a new donation or or an installment from any member country on 7 days notice they could command that they make a new remittance of funds to 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 um to, to keep this fund solvent and, and they decide who to give the money to and who to bail out, quote unquote, at any particular time. And, and all the countries that, that sign on to it, what well, once they sign on to it, they can't say no. It, it's the provisions of the That's treaty. Right. They, That's that, right. That's right. And they're, they're creating, uh, like a European economic government first. And then it's going to be a European government, European Union government. Which they don't, they want to deal only with the, uh, uh, com- your, uh, European commissioners, uh, in, in each nation. They don't want to deal with the governments and the parliaments of that nation. So they're, they're setting it up so that they're going to bypass the governments and parliaments, which represent the people. What little well, they well, still represent the well, people. Well, right. And, for these the- European, com- for these, uh, commissioners who will go to the uh, European parliament. And and uh, they they get paid for doing nothing, and they they're just kind of bought off because they get paid quite well, and they don't have to do anything, and they don't have to deal with the people 
uh, in their nation or anything. Well, well, that is the way it has been. Yes, that is the way it has been. But now it's even worse because with this latest bailout of Greece, and, and it's not fully cemented yet, no. but, but the, the new Greek prime minister is not elected. That is Papademos, right? Yeah. He's an ex-European central banker. He hasn't been elected. He was named interim prime minister. He chose an interim cabinet. He's talking about elections next year sometimes. But in the meantime, he is trying to convince the, the Greek people and the Greek parliament to approve of this new bailout, which was actually, I don't even know the terms of it yet, but it's, it's, um, it, it was actually arranged secretly by Merkel and Sarkozy in closed doors, and nobody has the details of it yet, as far as I know, and, and they're not being published, and, and they circumvented the European Council. So, so now they're circumventing the European Council. Well, yeah, yeah, there's a new thing now. There's these, uh, the, the strong nations are taking measures into their own hands because of the, you know, because the Barroso and the Union aren't, aren't effective and everything's falling apart. So they've decided since they're the ones who have the money and are bailing the people out, so they're, they're going to decide on their own what to well, well, right. It's kind of the opposite of this other thing. But, but since this guy that's in, in interim governance in Italy is an ex-European, you know, he, he, he's an ex-European right. government official. And, and this, this guy in Greece, who, who's the interim prime minister, is an ex-European central banker. I don't think that the deals made in Angela Merkel's office are actually to benefit the German or the Greek people. Yeah, you know, no, it, they're, it's... They're trying to, they're trying to get out of their difficulties. But they still have to be, they still uh, care about the banks getting, uh, staying solvent and all of that. So, you know, uh, the whole thing is it's not for the people at all. And the people are being quickly sub, uh, subsumed into these, uh, into these new decisions. And I don't think they know, uh, most of them probably know what the heck's going on, um, because they keep them distracted with all these circuses that are, that they carry on. So there you well, go. Now here's the thing that, Here's just I'll just throw this in here. The attitude of many French. This is from this article, uh, this long article. The French definition of federalism is, quote, that debts are communitized and Germany has to pay more. <laughs> well, well, right. That, that's the um, that 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 is the attitude of France. And yeah. and, 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 that, and then Germany says or Merkel says, if we're going to pay, we're going to decide how it's done. You see, but I. Uh, I, I don't think they should pay. I mean, I, I think all this paying, and now there's this guy, Sunik. Um, it's not Sunik. It's um, what is his name? If I can find him, here he is. I got him, Richard Sulik, who is a Slovakian. Uh, Malta just recent. No, this was uh last month. Malta and Slovakia have not ratified the expansion of the Euro bailout fund. I don't know if this is already old news or what, but. Uh, but this Sulik uh, had an interview with Spiegel, and he's he's very much against paying any more money, and he's against the uh, the the Euro fund, the backup fund, and uh, so Slovakia hasn't. Now that's a very small country, and Malta is teeny tiny. I don't know what influence they could possibly have, but at this point, they have to vote. Everybody has to vote for it, and they haven't. And he has said that um, that he said it's an attempt to use fresh debt. To solve the debt crisis, that will never work. But for me, the main issue is protecting the money of Slovak taxpayers. 
we're supposed to contribute the largest share of the bailout fund measured in terms of economic strength. That's unacceptable. I don't know how Slovak is, Slovakia is, it is expected to contribute the largest share, the largest share from who, I'm not sure, but that's what he said. And then Spiegel Online says, that sounds almost nationalistic, as though, oh, how horrible. You're speaking as a nationalist. And then she says, but at the same time, this uh, Spiegel interview, you've had what might be considered an ideal European career. When you were 12, you came to Germany, attended school, blah, blah, blah. So there's, you know, they like this ideal European career. They're pushing everybody away from nationalism, as we pointed out earlier. Well, well, it seems to me that they can't believe that he was educated in Europe and turned out a nationalist. Well, that they don't understand that. <laughs> <laughs> How could that be the result of a German? today to turn up a nationalist that nationalists have no teeth live in trailer parks and and never went to school right and in america anyway right right they're all skinheads well so you know you've got some people in there who don't like it but uh they don't have you know they say what they can but they they don't have the power now here's a thing from merkel she says uh he who pays the piper calls the tune well she's right about that but yeah, I still don't like, uh, I don't like what's, now there's this thing about opting out too. And, uh, they're afraid that, uh, that Germany and France are going to, uh, are not going to continue on with this and that the whole thing is going to come apart, particularly if Germany doesn't, doesn't come through. So, but this is, this is days away, these decisions, if they make the decision. So it's, this is really, it really is a crisis right now. And well, well, this very, is. Go ahead. There's a video on my website, and there's been a lot of um, violence in Greece this year, and and I mean violence, and and even members of the Greek military. Well, that's what they're afraid of. They're afraid of that all over Europe. Well, well, right, and and the the media in America has has basically. I haven't heard anything from American media except for you know a few right wing sites and and patriotic sites. For, about the violence in Greece, and and I don't think there's anything in the main. I could be wrong. I don't really normally watch the mainstream media, but I don't know anybody that's talking about it in the mainstream media at all. And, and the um, the the violence in Greece is in response to the, the this supposed IMF deal. That's I don't know if it's ratified or proposed. I think it's only proposed, but it basically turns over everything in Greece to the to the bankers and the IMF. It, it surrenders their yeah, entire. I, I, I watched that. I, I watched that video, and I was uh, I could hardly believe that it was that that was true. But you know, I have they're saying so. So, uh, but it's just uh, this stuff is just unbelievable. And I think that's the thing that people, ordinary people, even if they might hear it, they tend maybe not to believe it. They say, "Well, I'm not, I'm not so sure that." You know, I read that there, I saw that there, but that might not, that can't possibly be true. But this, these Greek people are saying so, and they sound very rational. Well, well they're educated people, and they're yeah. rational, right? The one guy's an attorney, and, and yeah, the, right. he was a, a university terrible. professor. It's what's happening, and we know today, we have to know that in the United States, uh, we think we have these rights. We don't have any, and, and we all, we're all, oh, all this money, uh, which of course nobody's going to pay it, but it means that uh, that we're indebted to whoever our debt, whoever our creditors are, which are I guess the mainly the Chinese and the Japanese, mainly the Chinese. So we're all indebted to these hundreds of thousands of dollars each each American citizen, uh, 
So we, we don't have any rights then if it would come to that, do we? Well, well the banks only hold debt as a last resort for, for the most part. Yeah, you know, from what I understand, that, that they would rather <coughs> have a nation sell bonds and then they take the bonds and they turn around and sell them to the Chinese and the Indians at a profit. And they make money on both ends of the deal, right? And, and that, that's, that's their gimmick. And, and they use the bonds as a gimmick so that when nations default, the two nations go to war against each other and fight it out. And, and the bankers stand there on the side in the shadows and they laugh about it. And, and they buy each other rounds at the golf course and, and go soak some other nation. That, that's, that, that's their modus operandi. They create the money from nothing that they sell it to the government for bonds. They take the bonds. They sell them to another nation and get their money back in real goods and services and, and, and from money that some other banker created from nothing. That, that's the way they do it. And, and it's a scam. It, it's a, it, it's the hugest scam in the history of. Well, I, I think the I think the answer, the only answer, is that we all. I mean, we already are, but everybody who cares about this would like to do something. Must become a nationalist because a nationalist is what they don't want. Democracies. This whole thing about spreading democracy. It's it's destroying nationalism. They try to pretend like they're for the people, and then in the end, the people have lost their their sovereignty. Really. And and they're and and they're not supposed to talk like nationalists like this uh, Sulit guy, and uh, you know so we have to become nationalists. We have to opt out of this whole way of thinking of uh, that they've sold us of this anti-racist, multicultural freedom and justice, whatever they want to call it. You know, uh, freedom and justice is a big big lie. That they that put across and they they use and and uh, and uh, well uh, they well they're using uh, Israel as an example of what we don't want to be and they're they're connecting is Israel with the Nazism and so on all this stuff is a big bunch of fooey that uh, people have to see through and we have to I, I'm ready to become very nationalistic to the United States of America because I was thinking well. You know, I'm not a European. I don't live in Germany. I, I would like to stand up for Germany, but I'm not a German and the German people have to do that. But I can stand, I can stand up here in my own country. And, uh, I don't know how, how you become a nationalist in the United States of America unless you are, uh, a white separatist, white nationalist. I don't know how else, how else it's done. And that doesn't have a very good track record. So, but I think that is, um, that that's what I would recommend to start with. To think in terms of nationalism and forget this whole thing about one big happy world where we're all going to get along. Because uh, the facts are, and human nature and reality, the real the real story is that uh, it doesn't work that way. And people ought to really read some national socialist literature if they want to think understand what nationalism is about and racialism. It's, yeah, well, well, original national. Stuff. Yeah. Uh, original national. Oh yeah, Goebbels wrote, wrote some some wonderful things, and and Mein Kampf is a wonderful book, and, and it's it's demonized and it's anathema to the international Jews and the bankers, and, and that's why because it's the solution. It's the only solution. It is well, well, the only solution is in Christ and, and nationalism and real Christianity is nationalism. It's loving your brother. And Adolf Hitler based his political philosophies on Christianity. And, and that, that can be 
um, disputed, but I'm, I'm up for the game, right? And, and um, that, that's what real Christianity is. It's nationalism. It's love for one's brethren, one's kindred. That's what nationalism is. That's where it starts. And, and it starts with, and on, on a political level, it has to start with the idea that the usury-based economy is evil. And, and, and it, well, well, I started off this paper I wrote last week, the, the European Misunion, and if you don't mind me reading the, um, the, the well, first... Well, we've only got about uh, a half a minute, one minute, so do what you can in that time, then we're going well, well, to... Well, in, in a community where only one member has a license to create money from nothing and demand interest for its use, the inevitable result, this is absolutely inevitable, is that that one member ends up owning everything in the community. That's what's going on in Europe today. We're seeing the result of the usury-based economy where all of Greek property is handed over to the bankers. Yeah. We'll be right back with more on the Heretics Hour. You're listening to VOR, ReasonRadioNetwork.com. I'm FSN. I'm Kate Moody with the latest world news. The so-called Super Committee of the United States Congress has admitted defeat in its quest for an agreement on how to make cuts to the U.S. government's budget. With the hours ticking away to a Wednesday deadline, the committee members found themselves so far apart that they threw in the towel early and abandoned the goal of trying to shave more than a trillion dollars from the U.S. government's debt. Our Washington correspondent Simon Marks reports. In a written statement issued after the financial markets closed in New York, the members of the Super Committee acknowledged their work had come to an end. We have come to the conclusion that it will not be possible to make any kind of bipartisan agreement, they said, after weeks of wrangling that had left them far apart on what balance of spending cuts and tax rises might best reduce government debt. In a curious twist, their statement affirmed that the committee members are united in believing that the nation's fiscal crisis must be addressed. But since they won't themselves be addressing it, the stage is set for automatic spending cuts to kick in early in 2013 and for a big blame game to be played in Washington between now and next November's presidential election. The United States has extended sanctions on Iran, targeting the petrochemical sector and Iranian banks. The Obama administration also declared Iran's banking system a center for money laundering. Earlier, Canada tightened sanctions, the UK severed all financial ties with Iranian banks, and France called for the EU to sanction Iran on an unprecedented scale. The measures came in response to a report by the UN's nuclear watchdog suggesting that Iran is working on an atomic bomb, allegations that Tehran denies. U.S. Secretary of State Hillary Clinton said there's growing international concern about Tehran's nuclear ambitions. The impact will only grow unless Iran's leaders decide to change course and meet their international obligations. And let me be clear, today's actions do not exhaust our opportunities to sanction Iran. We continue actively to consider a range of increasingly aggressive measures. 
Egypt's cabinet has submitted its resignation as thousands of protesters clashed with security forces in Cairo's Tahrir Square for a third day. Nearly 1,800 people have been injured and more than 20 killed in the demonstrations against the military rulers. Protesters are calling for a civilian government to take over from the military generals who've run the country since President Hosni Mubarak was ousted in February. UN Chief Ban Ki-moon called for calm in a statement through his spokesman Martin Nisirki. The Secretary General calls on the transitional authorities to guarantee the protection of human rights and civil liberties for all Egyptians, including the rights to peaceful protest. He urges restraint and calm by all parties to enable a peaceful and inclusive electoral process as part of Egypt's uh, transition to democracy and the early establishment of civilian rule. This is FSN. Let's return to the Heretics Hour, brought to you by VOR, ReasonRadioNetwork.com. And now here's Carolyn. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. I am Carolyn Yeager, and my guest tonight is William Fink, who recently published the uh, article European Misunion, which is posted on his uh, on his website, Christagenia.org. Now, uh, we've been talking about uh, Europe becoming enslaved to the bankers, and that's not an exaggeration if you've been listening to us. And hopefully you might go and read some of these articles at Der Spiegel. or there's Well, there's articles everywhere. Uh, or read, uh, read uh, Bill's uh, article, European Misunion. <clears throat> and, uh, and the other part of that is that as Europe becomes enslaved to the bankers, Hitler is avenged or Hitler is vindicated because, uh, his views were correct and, uh, what he, what he was fighting against has come to pass with a, with a vengeance really. And so, uh, we're not gonna, we're now in our, uh, call in hour. So I want to give out the number. If you want to call in and talk to Bill and ask him a question, uh, the number is 1-855- Four seven seven two two eight three, and uh, try to keep your uh, comments and questions to the to the topic as much as you can. Well, Bill, what were we talking about when we uh, when we stopped? Well, well, I was talking about the the the, um, the inevitability that the that the party who gets to create all the money and demand interest for it ends up with all of the property that oh. that's inevitable it, it should be understood like a lot of physics but it's never explained in our schools that's it's right not- uh, the, you know well, well, there's something i wanted to bring up and i'll do that first so I, before i forget and we'll wait and see uh who else calls now this is about the poll polish this was in this uh this was in this article uh in der spiegel about the european uh crisis and uh they have to always talk in der spiegel as we say, they're anti-German, 
And they always have to bring out, they do it all the time, what the Germans owe to the Poles and how badly the Poles were treated by the Germans uh, back during the war and what they owe them. And so here they add to this article, which to me is totally, is totally pointless. It says the Germans, however, have another problem with this uh, European economic government or whatever, uh, with an overly exclusive club of the Euro Avant card, because that's what they're calling this. They're saying in, in some of their, some of the people who have ideas on how to, how to save the European Union and what needs to be done, they want to create this club of a year, what they call the Avant Guard, that is the stronger nations. And you know, that is exactly, in a sense, what Hitler was going to do. He was, he wasn't going to have everybody equal. The, the stronger nations were going to be the core of the uh, of the uh, unified Europe, and the other nations were going to be a part of it, but they weren't going to have as much say in it. And that's exactly what they're coming to now, which I'm glad I got to make that point. Um, so now this uh, Spiegel says, what happens to Poland then? Because Poland is not is not one of the would not be in the exclusive club. So they say Germans Germany's eastern neighbor would not be involved, at least not in a solution restricted to the Eurogroup. All plans aside, there are growing concerns within the government in Berlin that the understanding so painstakingly achieved with a country that was once treated so poorly by the Germans would be jeopardized if Poland were excluded from the European development. Uh, well, and then they say, not surprisingly, Polish Prime Minister Donald Tusk has reacted sensitively to separate agreements within the Eurogroup, calling them insulting to neighboring countries. And the Poles, they say, are very enthusiastic about Europe and fear nothing more than to be counted as part of the EU's Eastern European contingent and distanced from the Western countries. Well, this is so true of Poland. They have wanted to be known uh, even pr- during prior to World War One and so on and between the wars. They wanted to be known as a major European Nation, and that's what they are aiming for. They have never been a major nation. Well, maybe way back they kind of thought they were, but this is what they're for, and they don't like to be put in, thrown together with the other Eastern European nations. So that's kind of snobbish of them. They have never liked the Eastern European, their, their Eastern European neighbors. And they take advantage of Germany. They have been doing it forever. And they've certainly been doing it since World War II to make the Germans give way to them, give way to them, and help them out and do things for them. And then they mistreat the Germans and insult them all the time. But anyway, I had to get that in there. That's for Rodney. Well, well, ethnically, historically, Poland's always been as confused as France, and and where their allegiance their allegiances lie has always been confused. Also, uh, I mean that they would have that they well well first no nothing's mentioned nobody's mentioned about how Russia mistreated Poland. Uh, I mean Spiegel, yeah, you know, obviously overlooks that that the um. The, the Poles mistreated the Germans more than the Germans mistreated the Poles. That the Poles wanted to invade Germany. They couldn't wait to invade Germany, and, mm-hmm. and um before the First World War. Well, that's it, true. Yeah, that's you know, true, the, but I don't, I don't want to get into that now because uh, because we've talked about that many times. But that well, that's, well, right. But like the French, true. like the French, they've yeah. always had their national, their own bellicose aspirations oh, squashed. And, yeah. and their own bellicosity has always been squashed by stronger nations. And is that the fault of the neighboring stronger nations? No. <laughs> no, because they would do it any chance they get, as you pointed out. So, yeah, well, you know, we have another caller. 
And it is Russ. And I said, go ahead and let, uh, let Russ talk to us. I hope he has a, a, a good question or a good comment. Hello, Russ. No, he's not on now. Oh, brother. Well, well, let me say something that this yeah, sums up, this sums up Spiegel's um, method of thinking and, and the way they think to me. I, I mean, this is just blatant. On, 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 in about the second page of the first part of this four-part article that we're citing on, on um, Phoenix, you know, Europe rising from the ashes, right? Uh, there Spiegel says, in capitals across the continent, governments have assembled their experts for brainstorming sessions while international law experts and political scientists gathered at think tanks are busy developing models and seeking a future for Europe. Then they say, influential thinkers like German philosophers Jürgen Habermas have weighed in on a debate as they try to shape a united continent. He's the first expert that they mention is this Jürgen Habermas. And this man, this man is the typical, he's apparently from a traditional German family. And and I think he's probably the epitome of the liberal self-hating white. He's an atheist. He's a humanist. He's listed as a theorist of the infamous Frankfurt School. And even Wikipedia writes that many of the central tenets of Habermas's thought remain broadly Marxist in nature. He's a Marxist at the Frankfurt Mm -hmm. School. And and this is who they're citing as an expert and an influential thinker. And that's the way that they're the people, the type of people that Spiegel puts up on a pedestal. Oh, that's all that Spiegel taught. That's that's all they quote. Our socialists and Marxists and and, uh, Green Party. This this whole article is built around uh, uh, um, uh, Yashka Fisher former uh, uh, head of the Green Party or former finance and finance minister in the Green Party. Okay, we have a caller again. I think he's on the line. Hello, what's your name and where are you from? Yeah, this is Russ. I, was, I called in a while back, but um, no one answered the call, so I, I just quit letting it ring, so that's, I'm not sure how, how that glitched Well, that's all right. What, what do you want to say now? Well, I wanted to point out, when you're talking about the Euro crisis and everything, you know, Sarkozy is very Jewish. And, uh, I mean, there's no denying that. He's, he's been married twice to Jewish women. He, the man well, yes, to- okay. Yeah. And I've been hearing also that you, you guys were talking about the new uh, Greek, uh, I get the names, because the old one was Papandreos and the new one is Papan. Papademos. Papademos. Isn't he also uh, sort of an ardent... uh, He's an uh, ex-former European Central Banker. Yes, he is. He's an ardent internationalist in in bed with the Jews. There's no doubt. And even down in Italy now, don't they have some guy, Berlusconi or whatever his name is? I I get some of these names confused, but I, I read something just recently where all, what all of these people have in common is they're extremely pro-Israel and just tied into that whole. Um, whole well, well, that's Israel absolutely stu- true. That, that's absolutely true. And did you have that, a question, just, Russ? You know, you yeah, just, just started just rambling. Okay. Sorry about that. I was just one. I wanted to ask Bill. I, I listened to an interview today, which I thought was sort of interesting. I just wanted if Bill would happen to be familiar with the fellow's name was Harold Rome. 
Well, let's not talk about uh, Harold. Okay. 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 Well, thank you, we Russ. Thank bye you bye. for your call, Russ. Bye bye. That, that's um, way off topic. Yeah, I, I can address it, up a lot but, of things that just just to right. poke at poke at people. Well, well, I have you know he could always come to my open chat server. I I, I have my own twenty four seven chat server at Krista Genninger, and and if he wants to ask questions about Harold Rome or anything else unrelated to me, uh, that's where I am. Yeah. Um, okay. Now, where are we? There is so much to say about that. He was talking about the Italians. Well, you were talking about the Italians. Well, well he spoke about Mario Monti. He meant to me, Italy's yeah. prime minister. Yeah, He's also a former senior EU commissioner. He's been in bed with the Zionists and the bankers for his whole career. And Papa Demos is, is a, a um, I think he was an economics professor, I think, and, and he's, a, a, a European official, you know, an EU official and a former official of the European Central Bank and, and he's been in bed with the Zionists and, 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 and the bottom line is that in politics and the media today, if you are not in bed with the Zionists, if you are not in bed with the Jewish bankers, you're not going to be there. No, they're going to get rid of you. Yes. It, well, it, now, he, promoted, here got, he, <laughs> go ahead. If you're being promoted by the media, by any media outlet, even Alex Jones, that then you're either a Jew or in bed with them. And, and that's the way it is. Yeah. Well, that's why everybody goes along with it because they can't, they're, they're out. They're out on their ear if they're not. And so this is kind of a, this is part of the terrible thing that's going on because the Jews are so in control and uh people don't want to use that word and don't want to say so and don't want to believe it and so on but that's a different thing now you know i'm glad we've got some time here because there was another uh spiegel article from october 5th that was uh, talked about the uh Euro- european union and it was how a good idea became a tragedy and uh how uh how, how they can call it a good idea because they admit that it was built on trickery so if something was built well, on trickery, how can it be a good idea? But anyway, this is how left that, that actually surprised me. Uh, I saw yeah. that article and that, that actually surprised me that they had made the admittance of that. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, it, it came kind of early. I guess they didn't, weren't, didn't have their policy all clear yet or they just let it go. But anyway, they're talking about, they probably have a way to make everybody. Well, I think their idea of trickery might mean something other than, than, um, than, than what we perceive. Well, they be. say, they say the euro was built on a foundation of debt and trickery. Uh, well, of course, uh, where economic principles were sacrificed to romantic political visions. And, uh, so it, so it all turned into a tragedy. Well, naturally, uh, so how, how Greece got into the Euro, they, they talk about that. And, uh, it's ma- mainly about how Greece got in. Greece is the, is the whipping boy, you know, even though some of these other countries are having problems too. Uh, Greece is the worst and they were the first, I guess. So they're the ones that, that are getting all the abuse. And, and you know, the Greeks, I do not, I do not make victims, uh, well, in a way they are, but they're leaders. Their leaders insisted on this. Their leaders wanted to get into the euro. Now, here are some things. Um, Greece was already well over its head at the time that it joined uh, the uh, in 1993 uh, when it joined when it wanted to get in when the European Union was uh, formed, wasn't it? And well, uh, or the euro and the national their national debt amounted to 114 percent of their gross domestic product. 
and they couldn't get into the European Union with that, but they they uh, lied about it. Right, they couldn't get into the euro. the The European euro, the European Union is twenty seven countries, but the euro is only seventeen. Poland is a European Union member, but they're not a eurozone country right. because they don't use the euro as a currency. How, how did Greece ever get into that? I want to tell you. Well, well from what I understand, here the EU finance ministers met in Brussels in April. 1997, to discuss what the new money would look like, Finance Minister Papa Papantonio, the guy before that, proposed that the coins be embossed with both Latin and Greek letters. Then the German finance minister at the time, named Theo Wagel, curtly rejected the idea. And then he said Greece was not in a position to make demands. Turning to Papantonio... Tonio, he said, you are not a part of this, and you will not be a part of this. <laughs> he was very clear about that. But uh, this Papa Demos, this Papa Trino said, we are going to get in it, and I'll bet you we will. And you know, he he and Papa, uh, this other pa- Papa Dreo, uh, no. <laughs> well, well, they did get in it, and, and yeah. <laughs> they did get it. And I have in front of me an article. I, it's from... Um, I'm sorry, I, I got to scroll up. It, it's from the Independent, and it's it's a United Kingdom publication. It's a United Kingdom paper, right? And it's it's from November sixteenth, two thousand and four, seven years ago. Greece admitted yesterday that the budget figures it used to gain entry into the euro three years ago were fudged. The finance minister, George. Alago Skoufis, now I read Greek and, and I could hardly say that name, right? Said the true scale of Greece's budget deficit was massively understated, enabling Athens to dip below the qualification bar and into the EU single currency. So, so it was rigged. Now I, I've seen articles that Goldman Sachs and Lucas Papademos, and, and according to, um, and I have an article here from, from, and I quoted this in my in my paper, right? European Misunion. I have an article here from Christopher Booker, and he's a columnist with the the, the London Telegraph. But he is surprisingly anti-EU, anti. Right, right. And he wrote that the new Greek Prime Minister, Lucas Papademos, was the man who, as the head of Greece's central bank, fiddled the figures to enable Greece to get into the euro against the rules in the first place. Right, and he used the Goldman Sachs helped him. Yes, he did. Goldman Sachs yeah. helped him and, so, and, and Lucas Papademos. And today, Lucas Papademos is is the interim prime minister appointed to lead Greece out of this mess. And, and he's only going to bury Greece. <laughs> and, and then they say that in the beginning, you know, they they uh, amongst those uh, 17 countries, you know, the ones that were trustworthy, they trusted each other. Nobody checked whether these figures that they presented for their their budget and their finances and so on were correct. They, they they depended on the each nation to present their, you know what what was going on in their country, what their numbers were and so on. And they didn't check them, and they tr- they said they trusted one another. Now if that is not stupid, I don't know what. Well, well, absolutely. And, and Greece in again in two thousand and nine. Well, when, when, when the last prime minister took over, I think that they found that the real budget deficit was double what it was being stated to be. 
that they were still cooking the books. That now in Spain, Spain just elected a populist prime minister. He's 30 years a member of the People's Party in Spain, which is kind of conservative. It's kind of like a, a party that was created from several smaller parties, most of them being conservative and Christian. And, and they just ousted the socialist government. And, and the new prime minister seems to be a religious and a conservative Christian. And, and I'm interested in seeing which way that goes. But he's predicting austerity measures and debt reduction, which is anathema to the Bankers, right? Well, well, Portugal also just elected uh, this year a very nationalist prime minister, Pedro Coelho. It seems to be. Um, it, it's got an H in it. We're in Castilian. I'd expect a double L. It, it might be Pedro Coelho. I might be mispronouncing it. It, it. He seems to be a nationalist, and he plans austerity measure and and redu- reduce spending and debt, which is also anathema to the bankers. And he's warned that he will not let the EU govern Portugal. But he, taking office this year, also discovered that the Portuguese budget deficit is over twice as large as what the prior Portuguese government was admitting to. And, and this seems to be Greece, Italy, Portugal. It, it's a trend. I, I mean, oh, they all sure. just... Well, it's been going on. Uh, they, they did not address this. It says in this one article that in the wake of the January 1st, 2002 introduction of the euro, uh, despite all the declarations of intent in the Maastricht Treaty, you know, earlier, the 12 new euro countries drove up their debt by more than 600 billion euros in the five years of preparations for the introduction of the euro. By the end of 2002, they had a combined debt of 4.9 trillion, with Italy's debt alone amounting to 1.3 trillion. And so, you know, all this was going on while they were being gentlemen, gentlemanly to one another and trusting one another. And, uh, and, and they just, the thing is, it was political rather than economic. It's supposed to be an economic business, but they, they wanted to get all these countries in because they wanted them to be democracies and they thought it would, they had in the past, some of them had been military, uh, governments and, you know, they're against all that. So they, they wanted to encourage them in their democracy. And so they allowed them into the union and into the euro. And, and all of this was just a huge mistake done for the wrong reasons, not clear thinking, political thinking, left wing political thinking. And, well, uh, uh, go ahead. The military governments that Adolf Hitler, we could consider National Socialist Germany a, a military government. We can consider Benito Mussolini's Italy a military government. We can consider we can well, consider. Well, I don't actually. You can't consider uh, Hitler's government a military government because he was he was elected and he he was uh, his people. Well, well, right. He was into elected the, into the parliament and then he was appointed. And he didn't, like, take over. He wasn't appointed uh, as a military leader. Well, and well, it really wasn't a military That's absolutely leader. true, but I would yeah. consider him a military government because he needed his own private military to have a voice. Well, in there, was, there was a different... If they didn't have brown shirts, if they didn't enforce their right to free speech with a bat, they would have never got to office. And, and so, well, so it, so, yeah, but they were fighting. They weren't going around right. fighting social democrats that's, or something. They were only fighting these communists. Who came well, well, after them? See, they, they, but, the communists, uh, came after, uh, nationalists in the beginning. And so the nationalists, uh, under Hitler, they decided they were going to fight back. And that's but, how, why he's, he's, 
Fra- Franco too. He he came to office and in a war against the communists, right? Right, right. I mean, this is what it took to get these anti-globalist bankers. Franco was actually uh, leading troops and so on before. Yeah, yes, he actually was, was yes. a military man, but yes. Hitler wasn't. No, he, he wasn't. wasn't. So, so he's a little different. But from he had to make himself one to get well, to power. Well, he dressed, he dressed they, like one. Right. <laughs> he had to make himself a military man to, to achieve power or, or Germany was lost. And, and he, he stood up and did that. And he deserves all the credit in the world for having not, not only the, the intelligence, but the gumption to do that. But because the, the, oper- the, the alternatives that were given to German people in the Weimar Republic were two. Okay, the the first alternative was to stay to remain debt slaves to the international bankers, which they were in the Weimar Republic. Mm-hmm. The second one was the constant agitation of the communists to rally the people to turn Germany communist. Now, now that still would have made them the slaves of the the same Jewish masters, right? Right? It, it's it, it's a pincer movement, and that's what's going on today. If you want to talk about this Occupy Wall Street. It, it seems to me that a lot of good people are tied up in Occupy Wall Street because they're they're angry, but it's being controlled by communists. So we have this communist agitation at the bottom. We we remain the slaves of the bankers at the top. That they're the two choices that were being offered. And again, the right wing is demonized just like it was in Weimar Germany. Okay, ladies it, it, and gentlemen, we're going to a break. Uh, the call, the call-in number is one eight five five four seven seven two two eight three. Will uh, William Fink is my guest. If you want to call in and ask him a question, you can do that when we come back from our break. And uh, we will be going to that break in a in a few seconds. William, I here here it comes now. So uh, and uh, so so we need we need somebody with gumption to uh, to stand up, and it's not happening. We'll we'll go into that more when we come back. We'll be right back with more on the Heretics Hour. You're listening to VOR, ReasonRadioNetwork.com. The Libyan government says it will not send Gaddafi's son, Saif al-Islam, to The Hague and will try him at home. That's despite the International Criminal Court's demands to hand him over to Europe amid fears he could be lynched like his father. Saif Gaddafi was seized along with two of his aides while attempting to flee to neighboring Niger. Libyan authorities want him tried on charges that potentially carry the death penalty. Well, to discuss Saif Gaddafi's fate, we can now talk with Adrian Solbucci, his political analyst and author from Buenos Aires. Well, Libyan rulers are insisting on trying him at home. Would any forthcoming trial be a fair one, Adrian, given the, fact, uh, uh, the facts about what happened to his father? Well, after seeing what happened to uh, Muammar Gaddafi, I would hate to be in a Saif al-Islam Gaddafi's shoes. Uh, either way, there will be very strong pressure on the uh, provisional Iraqi uh, uh, Libyan government to try and have him extradited. Now, 
what what uh, Saif al Islam al Gaddafi has is a terrible choice between being shot or being hanged. Because if he is judged uh, and tried in Libya, he might end up very much in a Saddam Hussein-like trial where he will end up being hung or he will end up being uh, killed one way or the other. And if he is extradited to The Hague, the International Criminal Court has already said, and, and we've seen what they've done in the cases of Ratko Mladic from Serbia or Slobodan Milosevic, it will not be a fair trial because the International Criminal Court is very much in line of of the historical uh, Nuremberg Tribunal, where the victors in war feel that they have the, the right to judge those who are defeated so that there can be no justice there either. Now, Luis Moreno Ocampo, the prosecutor for the International Criminal Court, has issued an international warrant uh, against uh, Saif Islam Gaddafi because of, quote, in the, he is an indirect co-perpetrator of murder and crimes against humanity. Along those lines, I think we should also include George W. Bush, Obama, Tony Blair, Hillary Clinton, who laughed when she heard of Gaddafi's uh, murder, Sarkozy, Cheney, Rumsfeld, Barack, uh, uh, Yehud Barak, and Netanyahu, at least, on the list of people to be judged in the International Criminal Court. Well, you mentioned all those people. Surely a trial would prove to be very uncomfortable for those with whom uh, uh, Saif uh, has had international contacts with, would it not? Secrets will be spilled. Absolutely, and that's where I fear that one way or the other they will silence Gaddafi's son, as has been a constant throughout history. Every time somebody survives who may speak un and give uncomfortable declarations, we've seen it very violently in the case of Lee Harvey Oswald. We've also seen the case of uh, or James Earl Ray, who killed Martin Luther King. We've seen it in the case of Rudolf Hess from World War II, who uh, very strangely committed suicide uh, during the British uh, watch in Spandau prison in 1987. And we've also seen, and this is all historical documents, how Muammar Gaddafi, only in the last two years, has shook the hands of Tony Blair. Return to the Heretics Hour, brought to you by VOR, ReasonRadioNetwork.com. And now here's Carolyn. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for coming back with us. We're in our last uh, half hour on this program. And let me give you one more time. Uh, the call-in number, and invite you to call if you want to, it's uh, 1-855-477-2283. William Fink is my guest. Bill, uh, after you finish some of the other things you want to say, we need, we need to uh, go back, I think we might have mentioned it, but to what will happen if, if they don't, uh, if Germany and France and so on don't support these, uh, these bonds and so on, and what what is the prognosis for, for what's what's the worst and what's the best that could happen? But we can talk about that after you finish what you were already saying. 
Well, well, it's it's well, one thing I wanted to say was um, Adolf Hitler warned again and again throughout Mein Kampf that international capitalism and international Marxism or communism were working hand in hand to enslave the German people. And and in this series of Der Spiegel articles that we've been talking about, I have another quote from from from. Jürgen, Jürgen Habermas, and they say that, um, and we've established it can be easily established that he's a Frankfurt School theorist. They are all Jewish communists. Habermas himself is probably not Jewish, but, but he's just, you know, he's signed on with them 100%, and he holds that their positions and, and, and their, their ideologies fully with the rest of the Frankfurt School. And, here we have a quote from, from Spiegel Online that says, Philosopher Habermas refers to the global societies that can no longer afford to solve their problems on a nation-by-nation basis as the post-national constellation. That's what he calls these, these <laughs> nations, right? On issues from finance to climate, energy and immigration, Habermas finds it simply foolish to assume that Europe's voice will still count if it doesn't learn to speak with one voice. Now, of course, he's promoting the right the, the loss of the right to self-determination, and that's what Adolf Hitler was warning about. And here we see it, Adolf Hitler's warnings about international Marxism and international capital working hand-in-hand hand against the white nations. Here we see it in black and white in Spiegel Online, and, and it's amazing to me that more people, because they don't read, don't notice this. It, it's easily noticed once you, all you have to do is read Mein Kampf or read, you know, about the rise of fascism and World War II history and, and the powers mm -hmm. behind it. And, mm -hmm. and this is all clear as, clear as, um, a, a, yeah, a, and, a running and, mountain stream. And, and we already said, but I'll say it again, that this, these people who, who love Europe and want to save Europe with, by uniting Europe and making a U European Union and so on and so forth, they don't love Europe because they don't want Europe to be for Europeans. They want to bring all these foreigners in who not only are different, you know, on the periphery of Europe, so to speak, but they're, but they're not, they're not even white. I mean, they're just totally different with totally different culture, as we know, the terrible threat of, of, uh, Islam in Europe today, all over Europe, awful. It's just awful. Well, well that's today. because the end and game. And they're all for it. Yeah. The end game of the Jewish international bankers is a one-world economy. It really is. Yes. And, and if you get Europe, it, it, once you join all these European countries to each other and get them to communitize the debt, that, that means that the bankers are more secure in their loans for another generation or two. And, and then they can think about joining Europe to nations like, and, and this has been tried, but it's failed so far, to nations like Turkey. What's after Turkey? How about the Caucasus? How about extending Europe to her natural boundaries to the Urals? How about folding Algeria and, and the Mideast into Europe? And, and let's have everybody, you know, using the same currency, the same language. That That's the, the, the greater picture that these people are, 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 um, Keeping within their vision, that their field of vision, that that it might take another hundred years. But what the hell? They've been at this two hundred years now since the French Revolution. 
Well, and and it's, they're, they're in this for the long term. Yes, yes. That's another thing that's very important to remember. And so really, really they have to be gotten out. I mean, that's all there is to it. If, if things ha- we, we're always saying, I've been hearing since I got into all of this that, well, once people, things get bad enough, people are going to uh, wake up. I, I, I don't have a whole lot of faith in that. If things get worse and worse and people get more and more beaten down. Uh, I think we need to start thinking about this right now. And, and again, the only answer is nationalism. There is no other answer. To it, and this idea, like you say, this communitarianism or this commu- this communitizing the debt. Uh, you said that that the bankers have um, a chance then to get the much better chance to get their money back, and that is how they're getting their money back by having the not the person who 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 owes it, but having other people responsible for it. Well, well there's somehow on on a. When the bankers and, and major corporations are concerned, somehow the idea of capitalism became the idea of no-fail capitalism. What the hell? If I invest my money in a business and I take some of your money because you want to help me out and invest it in a business, and, and the business fails... We lose. Well, we, we lose our money. Yeah. It's gone. It, I certainly I, lost money in my life. Well, well, right, and we have to accept. It didn't even occur to me that somebody should right. bail me out. Well, well, as long as the bankers have the ability to create money out of nothing and buy politicians with it, they're always going to win because they're always going to convince the politicians that they have to get the people of their nations to cover their losses. How about we let Greece fail? How about we let Greece default? To hell with the banks that go under. That's the system they sold us on was the system of winners and losers, is it not? Why doesn't that apply to them, too? This is what bothers me about the Merkel government, uh, that for all that they will sort of stand up, I, of course, I'm not for them at all, but it's the way that they will sort of stand up against the even further left-wing people, uh, they still want to protect the banks and the investments and so on. That somehow is protecting the entire economy. They're protecting the investors. They're protecting this and that. And, uh, no, we have, we have to let these, we have to let the European Union dissolve, really. But what is going to be, what is that going to mean? I mean, what do we say to the people who, who are still supporting it? Because they say, well, you can't let it fail. That's the same idea that you just mentioned. You can let it fail because capitalism in their own definition, I don't like capitalism. Don't get me wrong. Capitalism is not free enterprise. But in their own definition, capitalism has winners and losers. So they just have to learn to be losers. And and the people don't understand that. And and they keep on being led to the trough and, and, and believing that they have to bail out the bankers that have them oppressed. They're bailing out their slave masters. That's what they're doing. And, and this Occupy Wall Street, well, while some of these people have noble intentions, and, and I'll read the conclusion to my European Miss Union paper if you don't mind, no, more socialism is not the answer. We have already had more than enough of those failed Jewish experiments. Only Christ is the answer. Christ is the anti-Jew. He threw the money changers out of the temple. His is the only answer. Christ and a return to that ethnic nationalism, which was the norm. It was the norm throughout Europe for 3,000 years. Ethnic nationalism is the expression of Christian brotherly love, which 
Christ and Christianity demand. And we have to love our own people, and that means not burdening them with our debt, with our profligacy, with our sloth. We have to learn to abandon Jewish usury, something which is in fact abhorred by the God of the Bible. Well, some, oh, I'm sorry. And we have to return to fair weights and measures, which means a currency that isn't, that, that we don't have, that this magician behind the screen with the ability to inflate and deflate the currency and, and in order to make his own profit. And, and, and that's Andrew Jackson knew it. Adolf Hitler knew it. And and that, that's the only answer we have. Well, I like, I like, I like the phrases. To love your brother, love our brethren, love our own. But we're told we're supposed to love all the foreigners. We're supposed to love foreigners. We're supposed to love everybody and treat them as though they're the same as our own. This is a miss. This comes, this is attributed to Christian teachings. I don't know any people besides the Christians who actually believe this or do this. Uh, but Christians, uh, are some, uh, some Christians think they should do this. Uh, now, uh, what do we say to that? That, that's not what, uh, that's not what's really taught in the New Testament. I don't think although it's been interpreted that way. But it's it's uh, when they talked about others, they meant other people of your own of your own group, other people. Well, of, well, of race, course, other it, people it's of the your world. own tribe, whatever the, the, it was. Yeah, the world was white. The world was white. Nobody thought about taking Christianity to non-whites until the Jesuits concocted it as a way of controlling non-whites and looting and pillaging them, too, as they were looting and pillaging Europe. It it was they convinced the Catholic Church in in the 14 and 1500s that perhaps these non-whites should be converted to Christianity. Nobody That wasn't imagined before that. Really, that's what—that's who did it. The Jesuits. That, that's, well, well, the Jesuits, yes, and and the Protestant sects followed close behind them. But as the Spanish and Portuguese empires became multiracial, that that then the idea that these other races should be forced to convert to Christianity, what was undertaken? Yeah, well, multiracialism, race mixing, is also at the bottom of all these problems. Uh, well. Yes. well Absolutely, and the nation race, nation mixing. I mean, you can only should only mix so much. The New Testament and Old forbid race mixing. The New Testament forbids race mixing. Race mixing in the New Testament is called fornication. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, what what um, what what do we look at? How do we handle? Let's talk in some practical terms because people don't people don't know how when you get rid of this stuff. It's because there's going to be tons of violence. I I just keep seeing these uh, videos and so on with people saying, "Well, uh, and it's true. We have we have these mixed race uh, nations, and then we have uh, money. The money's all running out. That's keeping everybody pacified by giving them welfare and so on. And if that can no longer be done, then these people are going to just start looting, raping, and robbing and murdering because that's what they do these non-white people that is what they do and we should know that anybody that wants to say that's a racist statement it's ridiculous and you know it's it's a statement of facing reality non-white people not all of them but that's who does this kind of stuff not white people 
So we're going to well, have all these people, and they're going to start raping, looting. Well, well, white people have to learn to defend other white people. Yeah, you know, in in in, in another day and age, when, when Mexicans poured over the border and, and started raping and 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 pillaging white farmers, it was seen as an invasion. Mm-hmm. And and we have to overcome the Jewish garbage that spills out of the media that that takes this invasion and veils it as isolated individual crimes it's not the results of isolated individual crimes it's the result of a planned invasion that our people in the southwest are suffering at the hands of these squat monsters that's what they are that they're squat monsters. And, and that, that would be any other nation at any other time would understand that was an invasion. But we have the Jewish media. And, and the Jewish bankers insist they need, and it's not only Jewish bankers, it's a lot of white bankers that are whores for them. And that, oh, that yeah, and there's a lot, of, uh, a lot of businesses and so on, and a lot of individuals who hire right. domestic help. And, and, and they're, they're very, uh, mixed in this. They, they don't like the whole thing, but then they don't want, they, they like their help. Right. And, well, and that's, uh, we've, we've, we've kind of developed a society in which we have this work, underclass working class, uh, which are really, uh, illegal immigrants or anyway, immigrants. And, uh, we should, we should never have developed a society like this. Now they say, well, we have to have them. Uh, we can't get along without them. That's ridiculous. Of course we can. We don't need them at all. We got along for 10,000 years without That's them. right. The only reason why you would make excuses is are based in greed and a lack of brotherly love. And, and your own greed and... And, and, and your selfishness, intent- yeah. Your selfishness. Yeah, yes. I, I, I'm okay. I'm okay now, so uh, I'll, let's just leave things the way they are because I don't want to lose, you know, uh, my second car or whatever. You know, I don't... Well, well, for as long as Christians accept the things that the Jewish media spews, we are going to remain their slaves. We have to reject Hollywood. We have to reject their media. We have to reject their entertainments. We have to reject their usury. We have to stop taking out loans for garbage we don't need. And that those four things, that's just the beginning. But if we can't have, if we can't impose that basic austerity on ourselves, then we deserve to remain the slaves of the international merchants. Well, right. And I don't do any of those things, but I know people, and it's not even hard for me. I mean, it's my own choice, really. It started as a choice, not as something as trying to discipline myself. But uh, a lot of our people, you'd say our people, you hear them talking about, oh, uh, we saw this movie and, and they talk about, well, they, you know, they're critical and, and so on. But I think, why'd you even go and see it? Why do you need to go and well, see why it? Why did they give some Jew in Hollywood $10 so he could use that $10 to, to make more pro-homosexual, anti-white, racist garbage? They, they, yeah, they make these general uh, statements against all this. But then in their own personal life, they think that whatever they're doing doesn't make any difference. I just, I'm just, uh, just me and my, my wife or girlfriend or something went to the movie. That's not going to make any difference. Well, we have to see some movies sometime. We want to know what's in them. Uh, we want to know what they are. Well, I haven't seen a movie. I'm going to be honest. Absolutely. I haven't seen a movie since Braveheart. Last movie I saw. That was 20 <laughs> years ago. I haven't seen a movie in 20 years. I don't want to see another movie. I don't want to see movies either, but then people say, well, you're some kind of old, uh, I haven't read a pulp novel in 30 years. Pulp novels are garbage. The Jew, the Jew controls our minds through pulp novels. Read a classic. 
read a classic. Well, you know, I think often if we don't, if our people aren't any better than that they're indulging in pornography and they're going to all these movies and they're, they're spending money and all this stuff, uh, then they don't even deserve it. Well, how do we, you know, uh, well, and I'm getting into wild stuff now, but you know how. Well, that's how, the, that's the alternative our people have to remain the slaves of the, of the international bankers and, and the Jews or to straighten up and, and repent. Yeah. That, that's yeah. it. That, so there's no third choice. You are not going to live in the free enterprise system that this nation was founded on as long as you buy into all and worship all the idols of, of world Jewry. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Well, uh, let's go back to uh, – for the last few minutes that we have, back to this uh, neo-Nazism in uh, being attacked in, uh, in uh, Germany and all that they make out of it. We, we didn't really get to say everything about that. And uh, it's uh, how th- this is this is so uh, this shuts the Germans down so much and it shuts all Europeans down because this is so strong there and it's it's illegal there. And, and it's not anything? only that, it's not only that, but it's any aspect of what they attribute to Hitler's policies. Right? You mentioned yes. race. You're a neo-Nazi. Yeah. You you mentioned the Jewish problem. You're a neo-Nazi. You mentioned the the, the welfare state. You're a neo-Nazi. You, you mentioned and anything that's contrary to their policies. And, okay. This this is good because this is something I would I would like to say this that. Um, it's too many of our people who care about white, the white, the future of white people, go along with this uh, anti-Nazi stuff because they think it's just too too much trouble to uh, stand up for it, and it's not going to get you anywhere. But I think, along with not going to their movies and not going to their uh, buying their going taking in their pornography or going buying their books or reading their magazines or newspapers, whatever, we should also. Not not go along with what they tell us we cannot do, and well, say well, right. we shouldn't be scare words. Yeah, I I I understand in Europe where they're going to put you in jail, but they're not going to put you in jail here. And we have too many of our our uh, kind of leader people who stay away from that. I think it would be very important, and I'm not saying this because I'm some kind of a nut over. Adolf Hitler. I'm not a nut over Adolf Hitler, but I think that Adolf Hitler stood for everything that we care about and stand for, and yet all these white nationalists, as they might call themselves or whatever, uh, will not stand up for Adolf Hitler and will even even uh, criticize and attack him along with others. When he actually, uh, if, you'd, if you're going to do that, Nobody's going to stand up for you. Why should they? I mean, if you're going to do that, it shows somehow you don't understand what's going on. And you don't know understand what's in your own interests. We have to be explicitly and unapologetically pro-white. We have to be. that The Jewish media allows Mexicans and Negroes and, and Muslims from the Middle East and Indians to be explicitly and unpo- unapologetically whatever the hell they are. We have to be, we have to insist, even in Europe, that we have a right to be explicitly and unapologetically 
pro-white. And even in Europe, where you might get put in jail, if 40,000 people did this in Germany, and the German government had to feed and house 40,000 dissenters, they might think twice. They might think, and, and then 100,000 or 200,000. That's the problem, is nobody wants to stand up. Mm-hmm. Nobody wants to sacrifice. We mm-hmm. have, we're, you're not going to maintain your national will to, and, and right to live and survive without sacrifice. You can't defend yourself as a race and a nation and remain sacrifice free. It's not going to happen. You're going to stay a slave and your grandchildren are going to look like Tiger Woods. That's so good because, uh, this is what Adolf Hitler always talked about sacrifice and doing everything, uh, the common good more important than the individual good, because he knew that that was necessary. And he was always trying to strengthen the German people. And, you know, they, they responded to him, and they were strong, and, and they, they amazed everyone. Although many of them will say, but look, where did it get them in the end? Look what happened to them. I, you know, that's not the way to look at it. To look at it is like, look at the legacy that they left, which can inspire the rest of us, and it should. And so, yes, uh, we have to, we have to sacrifice. You're right. And that we, people who say, well, I'm not, why should I, uh, if you say this or that, they're going to call you a Nazi. You know, I say, so what? So what they call you a Nazi? What's the difference between they, they don't even want to be called anti-Semites. And a lot of them seriously don't want to be and say, I'm not an anti-Semite. I don't know how they think though. They think that somehow, uh, they can distinguish between these these Jewish people, when the fact is, the Jews function as a as a as a group, and they function against us. So you know we have to be like you say we have we have to decide that it's white people against the rest of the people until we get our strength back. Uh, but we can't be these understanding multi multicultural accepting people and do anything except go right down the drain, which we're in the process of doing right now. Well, that's well, my that's my final statement. Absolutely. If if you don't stand up for what you are, you, then then you face extinction, and and that's the two choices we have as a race and a and a people. Yeah, white people are afraid of of uh, standing up for whites because they they actually have come to believe that it's wrong and that it's racist, that that means that uh, that other people are going to be harmed and they don't want to harm anybody else. Well, they, they're letting themselves and their own posterity be harmed. Can't they see it that way? Well, that's... <laughs> well, like Adolf Hitler said, sin against blood and race is the original sin in this world. And, and every time we... The, the Aryan man race mix, he was tossed out of the Garden of Eden. Well, well we don't deserve the Garden of Eden, do we? Because well, sin- you are race mixing again. The sin against race is is the uh, the uh, ultimate or the first sin or whatever, and uh, it's true. And this is something that we better get used to. I, I I talk about it, and I think people most people don't talk about it, and but I think uh, we need to talk about it, and uh, we need to get used to it, and not think it's something wrong with it because. Uh, race is real, and race is not going to go away. But maybe this race, our race, is going to go away, which I think would be a terrible, terrible well, well, tragedy. Yeah, you know, I hate to set people at ease and give them a reason to be slothful, but we have a guarantee that we're not going to go. Yeah, away. well, I, 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 but it's not going to be an easy road. 
<laughs> well, okay. Um, we. I want to thank you, Bill, for being on with me tonight. It's been a great pleasure for me. And I want to make a little announcement um, before I sign off. So uh, I want to just uh, uh, say good, good night to you, Bill. Thank you and, and good night. It's been my pleasure. Thank you and Ben. Good night. It's been my pleasure. Okay. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, um, I'm expecting as my, well, it looks like I ran out of time, so I won't be able to make my announcement. Uh, check for what we're going to have next week. Good night. Thanks for listening. The Heretics Hour returns Monday evening, 9 p.m. Eastern U.S. Time. Join us at ReasonRadioNetwork.com.